Welcome back to another episode of the Uptown Punks on this special edition with Susanna, where we're talking about sustainability and diversity in data centers around the globe. Um, and I think we got ourselves a heavyweight over here today, the, the Muhammad Ali of the data centers. So I don't know what you'd like to call it in the I, industry. I, a heavy person, <laughs> definitely not a heavyweight, but <laughs> thank you, Paul, for yeah. the kind so, intro. <laughs> uh, Tony Grayson. Um, you have you have done probably everything in life. Um, thank you also for your service to your country. This is also one thing I want to take up from here at the beginning. You're probably one of the first people that we have on the podcast that was in submarines. Am I correct with that? Submarines, yeah, yeah. 21 years. Yeah, a sub commander is something definitely I wouldn't fit in. But um, uh, the question is what <laughs> you'd be surprised. <laughs> the the question for me is what brought you from submarines to Facebook, Oracle? um amazon and then compass um take 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 explain the journey what yeah, what made you change yeah careers? so I, yeah it's just i had a super different path to tech so 21 years in the navy uh, my lifelong goal was to command my own submarine um and i did that but of those four years that i was in command i was probably out to sea 80 percent of the time and so you know it, it's kind of one of those things you, you get your life goal and What's more important, your family or continuing on? So I decided to get out. And, you know, the, the, the natural path for a nuke submariner is to go with Tom Furlong and Navy Bob and, and get out, or Bob Hannigan, sorry, and, and get out there to Facebook and run data centers. But, you know, I, I kind of got into a different path and working on more of the, the fiber and low voltage and IT route because what I kind of learned is, well, you know, submarine has 15 megawatts of IT load. So we have a substrate, we have an overlay, we have a you know network, we have a management network on top of that, and you know we have a software stack, and so we all kind of know how cloud works and even how into the into the software side how things work. We just don't know what we know, um, and I it, we call them different things, and I think you know I kind of it kind of clicked for me, and I was at Facebook, like I never would have figured that out if I would have. I would have went with the straight facility track. And so I got on this, this wonderful kind of track of, of getting farther up the stack on, you know, kind of the IT side, the network side. And then, you know, unfortunately the barrier was just too expensive. You know, the Navy doesn't pay you anything. Um, and so I couldn't compete with the young kids with their $2 million in RSUs and all cash offers. So my choice was, you know, take a five hour bus and being somewhat facetious, but a five hour Facebook bus to get to Facebook. Um, or move and so uh, move the family up to uh, Washington because we had been here stationed here twice and I was flying the Nerdbird down and the Nerdbird is a it's a it's Alaska Air I'm not sure that all the airlines have it but I was Alaska Air Monday morning uh, coming back a Thursday afternoon I did that for six months but that's kind of why I left the Navy and so I uh, had a great chance to go work at AWS um, kind of more on the architectural engineering side and then you know got a offered a great opportunity at Oracle, and that was to run, kind of starting off with their their uh, network, OCI's network, and that, you know, then I picked up, you know, data centers and, and site selection and in the corporate network, and I did that for about, you know, four years, but, you know, during that time, I started talking to some great mentors out there, um, you know, Surreal from Vantage, Chris Crosby from Compass, you know, Randy from Edge Connects, you know, Brian from Stack, and it's just, I'm like, man, I want to try the CEO thing. This sounds cool because, uh, mm. you know, data center companies were killing it. But, in, you know, I'm a technology ops person. I don't know finance. I know finance. I can spend money like the best of them, like the best cost center. And so, you know, 
I, I want to get out there and make my own product and, and leave a legacy in a business. Uh, and so lucky enough, Chris Crosby, actually, you know, Compass owns two companies. So Chris Crosby gave me the chance to run one of those companies. And it's, it's an incubator. You know, I can't ask for what a better way to learn how to be a CEO where you don't have to go begging for money. You know, there's no pressure to sell. Uh, you have time to get the business model right. And you have a great team backing you up, providing you guidance. So roundabout story, that's kind of how I got here. <laughs> um, but I also think it's been interesting as a, someone who has not been steeped in the data center industry for 20 or 30 years, I ask a lot of why. Um, mm. And so I tend to poke at a lot of things that maybe, maybe they're great ideas. I don't know. I'm just trying to find out why the decision was made. Is that decision kind of backable? And that's kind of how I, I think I yeah. kind of gone on LinkedIn and with things guys just I, well, why do you do that you know okay you know yep. well that makes no sense what about this this and this so um yeah, yeah it's like it's, it, it, it's like it's like with everything right because these people that work 20 30 years in the industry they they know oh it only works like this and then you come in as somebody who has absolutely well I'm not saying you don't have any idea but you're not an expert in it yeah. and you go but why why are you doing it like this have you ever tried doing it like this and it, we look at you like yeah, because that's how it always worked. And you're like, well, maybe you need to look at it from a different aspect, right? No, and um, I agree. And, and as engineers, we're the worst because we know what we know, we know what we like, we know what works. And that's what we ask for. You know, we don't, well, I don't, I have never used that mechanical system before. What's the efficiency on that? You know, what's the PUE? You know, it's like, it's, I think, you know, it's, we need to ask ourselves, you know, why are we doing a lot of this stuff now? Because I think we're in a time of change in our industry. Um, and you already see it in Europe with regulations it's going to hit the world with regulations and we're going to have to figure out how to do this in more sustainable, but it, we can't sacrifice time to market. We can't sacrifice the money aspect of it because ultimately at least the public companies are beholden to the stockholders. Um, and mm. then, you know, so it's, it's this tricky balance of how do you be more sustainable without affecting the bottom line? Yeah. I mean, that's all there. Yeah, well, that's what matters for every business, but how do you think people can be more sustainable with operating the data centers? You know, I, I think, there's a, a couple ways to do it. I think the, you know, the first thing is I think we need to define truly what our scope one and two and three are like go ask, you know, 15 people, how you track scope three, how it should be measured. And you're probably going to get 15 different answers. And until we kind of baseline what, how we're comparing ourselves or how we're measuring stuff, we're never going to get anywhere because what's an RFP then. So, you know, an RFP is going to sit there and say, I want you to do this. Um, and you're going to have to meet some metric, but that person's going to be a check for the metric. And, and instead, right now, what we're seeing, there are you know, a lot of legal contracts that said, in good faith, we will. And what does that mean? That means you know, the lawyers are happy because you aren't beholden to it. You can just say, hey, I tried, uh, and it didn't work out, so sorry. Um, so the contracts, you know, the RFPs and the contracts really need to go to whatever metric we define as the scope one, two, and three, and, and how we're kind of doing it. Um, but I think we need to be smarter on the whole chain. It's it's the whole stack. It's the, you know, how are we powering the data center? What are we doing with our waste? But, you know, we also need to think about the S and the G. We talk a lot about the E. I think we're doing a lot of stuff for the S and G, but I think it's it's kind of, you know, it's 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 almost in the noise aspect I and mean, it shouldn't be. I mean, it's ESG mm. for a reason. Yeah, I, I, I think the problem is a lot of greenwashing is happening, to be honest. Um, because they say, you know what, uh, yeah, our stuff in Europe is running with wind turbines from Ireland, where we buy it, and this stuff is running like this, and then you go like, well, what about your data centers in Asia? 
let's say India, for example, oh, and I, everybody just becomes really quiet because that's all based on coal. But I think I think Europe does it. I think mm. Europe did it right. I mean, if you look at Gaia X and GDPR, got it. They're all about personal privacy, but they forced the data center industry to totally change how they're doing business. Like you can't mm. send your metadata outside that country because it violates the the, the privacy rules of of that country. And so, you know, I think Europe you can't get away in the press like you can in some other locations of of you know trying to hide things you can't you know do white, mm. you know greenwash it and cuz and you also the green deal seems to be like a real thing like the customers before they go on your net you know before they go on your business they're going to verify a lot of things about you and i just don't see that happening i might be missing it i just don't see that happening outside of of europe so i think you know kind of what i'm learning here is we need to take a lesson from how europe is you know, the regulations are going to define everything, you know, irrespective of regulations, unless it affects the bottom line, I don't think everybody's going to do it, you know, good attention aside. Um, so I think we need the regulations to tell us, you know, what is what does green financing mean? You know, how do you get money for that financing? Is it going to cost you more if you're not green? You know, what's scope three? How do you track it? I think we need to define all this stuff. And, and to me, it's almost, it's almost like analysis paralysis, if you will, like, we're mm. so we're still arguing so much about what that is. Let's just let's just take a step. It's not like it's going to be codified. We can always change it, but we I think we have to take a step forward, and then we'll take another step and another step, and probably two steps back somewhere in there. But we have to take a step forward. Well, yeah, you always need to take a bit, a little bit of a leap of faith, yeah. No, it's, but, it's, but there's almost no risk to that leap <clears> of faith. Let's just sit there and say you track scope three by doing X, Y, and Z. This is how you do it. Mm. This is how you mm. audit it. There you go. If it doesn't yeah. work, then we change it. We try it. It's it's power of incrementalism. Yeah, but here comes the problem. Who 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 is the person that's allowed to define this, right? No, and I is, think should I, should it be the hyperscalers who define it? I don't think so because they just do what they want to do anyways, right? I mean, I think it's it's got maybe it's 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 an independent body that defines what those are in. Someone who doesn't have any skin in the game, but it's actually looking out for the greater good. Because ultimately, I mean. You know, those companies who are for-profit business are going to have to balance this against it. But if they have no choice, guess what? Everyone's on a leaking playing field. It's like right now, no one's on an equal playing field. So one company mm. could be more sustainable, could be a higher cost, and no one they might not be able to sell their business because no one's really playing. I mean, everyone's just kind of playing with, with different cards. And so I think we need even that playing field, define it with an outbodied source and and then start building to that and then get out of this in you know in good faith. No, an RFP said thou shalt do X, Y, and Z. And now the providers know how they need to build it, how they're being judged on it, and we'll accept the cost or time the delays that could come from that. Yeah. Um, so uh, tell us about some fun, great innovations you guys have done so far already on Compass. You know, I I I will talk, you know, I think Compass has done great. I think, you know, they kind of push the initiative for HVO, which is kind of uh for the diesel. I think they've done a lot with carbon capture and concrete. Um, they've done a lot of stuff with, you know, kind of, you know, manufacturing process instead of a construction process. So manufacture on site and deliver so you can maintain higher quality. Uh, and also kind of bring in this mass customization where you can offer customers changes to your data center, but without breaking a production line. So, you know, kind of minimize costs overall. But you know, kind of with what I'm doing right now, we've kind of taken a step back where, you know, the edge is interesting to me because it's a low cost of entry. 
So mm. it's a less risk to test with, you know, kind of technology. And so, you know, if you're spending, let's say, um, let's say a million dollars for, you know, that's not what it is, but let's just say it's a million dollars on an edge unit. You know, if you add a PEM fuel cell in there, that might be a $300,000 uplift. If that fails, then you're out that much money. You, you learn your lesson and continue on. If you do that for a hyperscale data center, you could be out hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. So you know, we've been trying to take a look at sustainability and, and stern at the edge as a test case and use case of, of how you can do it and then bring that kind of that kind of results into the hyperscale stuff. And and separately, you know, these edge modules are going to be everywhere. I mean, do you really want a huge carbon footprint? data center next to your child's school? I mean, do you want it down the street from your house? Um, no, I think you have to do it right. And also, you know, can you imagine retrofitting one of all these, like it, it's, to be it's a retrofit on a 40 megawatt data center seems hard, but all your workforce is in one location. Imagine trying to retrofit 10,000 distributed kind of data centers around the globe. And it's a whole order of scale difference and a whole order of cost difference. So, you know, we've been really trying to focus on these on these edge modules with sustainability first. And we're doing things like we have a software layer that you know, other you know, kind of companies are doing where it allows you to monitor and control your energy consumption, your mechanical consumption to, you know, to provide more sustainable. We are not deploying on concrete, we're deploying on piers. So we don't affect the environment as much, especially when it gets taken away. Uh, and we're using a kind of uh, material science cladding, composite cladding that has uses less energy to make than steel and has less of a carbon footprint. I mean, it's only just a start, but I think you got to take that baby step first and and try to do something that makes a difference, and we'll see what happens and changes we go. Yeah, <clears throat> from your experience, this is now a tricky one. You don't have to answer it if you don't want to. Um, who who do you think is leading from a like global perspective? which regions are leading the sort of transformation when it comes to sustainability and operating? It's Europe. It's Europe because they have the regulations that define it. They have a green deal that defines it. You know, EU has been very, very strict with what they do in public opinion, man, you'll be on the front page of every paper across the EU. If, you know, if you come out weird, you're, you're not, you know, basically straddling the line on, on what that means. So I think, Europe has done it right. And I think we need to take a page out of Europe and, and figure out how we, we kind of copy these definitions and regulations and, and make it across the, you know, the rest of the world. I agree with Tony. You do? Well, it's, it, it's funny because when, it, when you speak to the guys in Europe, they say, oh, look at what America's doing. The Americans mm. know what they're doing. And it's like, it's quite interesting that you look at Asia, they also think, well, they think everybody else is doing well, everything better. Well, it's um, just, it's, it's interesting to me. I don't, what I don't get is why are we so divided in our regions? I mean, look at some of these companies. They have a president of Americas and Europe and in Asia. I, mean, I, I don't know this for certain, but it should, you know, should lessons learned, should we run the business the same way? Should lessons learned be across the same way? Should we have one kind of, I, I don't, that's how I'd run a runner, but I, you know, I can't speak to these businesses, but I do think it's, Europe seems to be ahead. And, you know, I've, I've talked to a couple, I'm at Capacity Europe right now in London, I've talked to a couple providers and they're getting very strict RFPs in Europe that are very succinct of what's expected of them that I've never even, I never even knew we were doing that. I was, to be honest, I was astounded. I yeah. was gobsmacked to use a, a certain phrase. I was, I, I completely, I had this whole argument of ESG is aspirational and they're like, we're getting this like, oh, I, I, 
I didn't know. And I think we need to take these lessons learned and, and pass the rest of the industry. Yes. Yes. It's quite interesting that you say that because it's like, yeah, like I said, um, but what's really nice to hear is that when you go to events that you basically have to exchange with other people and that's why it's so important to being able to travel again and meet people face to face because that conversation would have never happened um, yeah, it's, on a it's, Zoom link unless you yeah, would have went to the wrong meeting. Or, <laughs> you know, I, and I, I think it's, it's regionally based. I think you're going to, we're going to find the way to do this. We're going to pick the best out of each region and figure out the way to do this the best. And so mm. we, we can't just be focused on Americas. We can't just be focused on, you know, EMEA or Africa or APAC. We got to be focused on global so we can learn a lesson learn of all this industry together instead of lesson learn of our little sliver. Oh, it's amazing. Okay, so I'm going to come to the last question, which is the one we ask everybody, Tony. Um, during the pandemic, everybody bought himself a nice little gift. What did you get yourself as an um, ex-sub commander? Did you buy yourself a submarine? For the house? So, no, uh, no. Uh, but I will say the pandemic really didn't affect me that much. So imagine I did 21 years living in a little box. So I have to stay in my house. It's a lot bigger than my box. You know, you can't go outside. No problem. I did that for 21 years. So the <laughs> pandemic was honestly, it was like, eh, business as usual for me going back to my Navy days. But no, I didn't. Uh, I didn't really go out there and, and buy anything frivolous. I, I probably wish I, I should have. Um, but I, I didn't do anything, anything mm. like that. Um, no, I've done something after the fact. I can really admit that I have a I have a kind of a car problem, not like the Christian Bellotti car problem. Yeah. I have to, it's a little down, a little bit lower than that. But I, you know, I, I have a, I did just buy a car. So I'm pretty happy about that. Okay. You could buy yourself something sporty. All right. That's it then. Tony, thank you so much for being here on the podcast with us. Tonight, we're going to have dinner and live. Unfortunately, the listeners won't be able to join us for this, but uh, <laughs> let you know how good the food was. Indeed. <laughs> I'm sure we could summarize it all in a, in a separate podcast with notes. <laughs> yes, we will, definitely. <laughs> Thank, right. you, Thank, no, you, Tony. Thank, Thank you, Tony. Thank you, Tony. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.